Morning. Morning. Don't be overwhelmed. I'm only reading the first page. <laughs> um, our scripture reading is John 15, 1 to 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the world I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and anointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command, love one another. This is the word of the Lord. And it will be destroyed. 
I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field, till no space is left and you live alone in the land. The Lord Almighty has declared in my hearing, Surely the great houses will become desolate, the fine mansions left without occupants. A ten-acre vineyard will produce only a bath of wine. A homer of seed will yield only an ephah of grain. Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks, who stay up late at night till they are inflamed with wine. They have harps and lyres at their banquets, pipes and timbrels and wine, but they have no regard for the deeds of the Lord, no respect for the work of his hands. Therefore my people will go into exile for lack of understanding. Those of high rank will die of hunger, and the common people will be parched with thirst. Therefore death expands its jaws, opening wide its mouth. Into it will descend their nobles and masses with all their brawlers and revelers. So people will be brought low, and everyone humbled, the eyes of the arrogant humbled. But the Lord Almighty will be exalted by his justice, and the holy God will be proved holy by his righteous acts. Then sheep will graze as in their own pasture, lambs will feed among the ruins of the rich. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, well, something you can't tell about me from looking is that I play guitar. Uh, I've been playing guitar for a long time, but a couple of years ago I got myself a new guitar, which was very exciting. Uh, it was second hand, it seemed like too good a deal to miss out on, so I went to the guy's place, had a look at it, tried it out, it was great. Great deal, bought it home, very happy with it. Uh, but every time I uh, change the strings, which you have to do now and again, I always think it'd be great just to tweak the height of the strings off the fingerboard. For those of you who are musicians, this matters. Uh, just change how it feels, right? And uh, like a lot of modern guitars, the way you adjust this on my new guitar is you use an Allen key. So it's got one of those little, it feels like you're building IKEA furniture. It's got one of those little Allen nut bolt things and you stick the Allen key and you twist it. At least I assume that was happening because that's what's there. But the first time I went to do it, I went and got my toolbox, got out my set of Allen keys, looked at the, the Allen bolts and went, these look like you know, the smallest size I have. So I got out my smallest Allen key, went to put it in, and it didn't fit. It was too big. So I went, oh, obviously I haven't got the full set of Allen keys. So I went to Bunnings and uh, went and looked at their Allen keys. The smallest Allen key they had was the one I already had. So I went to a specialist tool shop, because, you know, Bunnings is just coals for tools. And <laughs> went and looked at their Allen keys, and the smallest Allen key they had, they had was the smallest one I already had. So then I got online, thought, where, where else can I look? So I looked at a jeweler's supply shop where they have tools for making jewelry. Uh, they didn't have any small Allen keys. I went to a watchmaker's tool shop online. They did not seem to have any smaller Allen keys. Where can I find 
The Allen key to adjust my guitar. Well, if you have any hot tips, please tell me afterwards. We have something much more important to talk about this morning, and that is, because there are much more important things in life than guitar, where can we find life? Where can we find fullness of life? Where can we find truth? Where can we find hope? Where can we find real love? Well, it won't be a shock that I'm standing up in a church and saying the answer is Jesus. But I want to show you how the Bible says that and why it really matters to be clear on. So in John uh, chapter 15, verse 5, I'm only going to be referring to the readings in your book this morning, so if you want to follow along, that should be easy. In John chapter 15, verse 5, the second paragraph there, it says, this is Jesus speaking, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You want a fruitful life? You need to be in Jesus. Jesus says if you're not in him, we cannot have a fruitful life. So what does he mean? Well, firstly, Jesus is claiming that he is the true people of God. In fact, at the start of the chapter, John 15, verse 1, Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Now, if this is the first time you've heard about these things, this will seem a bit strange, but it's not just a random metaphor that Jesus thought would be helpful. It was a metaphor that God's people had been talking about for a long, long time. And we see that, for example, in Isaiah chapter 5 on the next page there. Here, uh, Isaiah is warning the people of Israel and Judah that because they are not trusting God, because they are not looking to God for help, because they are not loving God more than his gifts, God is going to stop treating them as his special people. And so he uses this metaphor of a vineyard. So the first few verses he describes, you know, the standard things they would do back then to look after a vineyard. Uh, my loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. Verse 2, he dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. And then he pushes the metaphor a bit further, I think, because he was speaking to people who didn't want to hear this message. And so he's trying to get them in to understand the problem. Verse 7, he explains what he's talking about. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah are the vines he delighted in. Well, how are they special as God's people? Well, all people were created in God's image. All people are created to be part of God's family, but we've all rebelled against God and gone our own way. And so that's brought God's curse on the world. But God promised to restore blessing. And he promised to restore blessing through Abraham. You can read all about this in Genesis 12, pretty much to the end. Uh, God chose one man and said, I'm going to be your God and you'll be my person uh, and I'm going to bless you and bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And from your offspring, I'm going to restore blessing to all the peoples of the world. Uh, and so Abraham had children who had children who had children, and you know, eventually you have the nation of Israel. 
And so God promised to, to guide them. He gave them special instructions. He gave them the Ten Commandments and a whole bunch of other instructions to go with that. He promised to look after them and demonstrated again and again that he could be trusted to keep that promise. Uh, the big obvious way was he rescued them when they were slaves in Egypt um, and did all sorts of uh, you know, famous signs to show that he was doing it, some of which have been made popular in animated movies. And most of all, he told them that he loved them. And so one of the things he did was provide them with a good place, an abundant place to live, where they could enjoy his care in abundant harvests and uh, making beautiful wine and having their uh, herds and flocks thriving. But if Israel didn't stick with God, They didn't trust him to tell him what to tell them what was true and right. They tended to trust their own judgment. They thought they knew better. They didn't put their hope in God's promises. They tended to look to the nations around them to help them when they had problems. And they tended to love God's gifts more than God who gave them to them. And so that's all summarised in Isaiah 5 in a very brief description of the problem. At the end of verse 7, God looked for justice but saw bloodshed, for righteousness but heard cries of distress. When we make up our own truth, refuse to accept God's help, and love other things more than God, it always ends badly. And so when Jesus says, I am the true vine, he's saying, as opposed to Israel. The nation of Israel was chosen and given special treatment by God so that they could restore God's blessing to the world. But they didn't stick with God's plan. They didn't trust God's word. They didn't hope in his promises, they didn't love him with all their past or mind and strength. But Jesus is the descendant of Abraham, the descendant of Israel, who does. He's the one who trusts his father for what's true and right. He's the one who fully trusts his promises. He's the one who loves God and loves his neighbour as himself. Jesus is the true people of God. Uh, it was Valentine's Day recently. I don't know what you do for Valentine's Day. What I try to do every year is buy my wife flowers about a week before Valentine's Day because I don't want to get caught up in all the commercialisation but I don't want her to feel like she's missing out. Uh, a couple of years ago, I accidentally bought her flowers on Valentine's Day because I'd forgotten all about it and I saw all these stalls selling flowers and thought, that'd be nice. Bought some and gave them to her and she went, you gave me something for Valentine's Day. Oh! But, you know, when we get flowers to give to people, usually they are cut off from the plant. 
Usually they've been trimmed off and made into a beautiful bouquet and you might put them in a vase with some water. You might have that special, is it salty stuff? I don't know. A little sachet that comes with the flowers, you stick that in the water. But all of that is just staving off the, the inevitable. The flowers are dead. It's only a matter of time. Uh, and without God, we are dead. Where can we find life? Where can we get reconnected with God? Where can we find what's true? Who can we really trust about that? Who has the power to sort out our lives and our futures? Who can we really put our hope in? Where can we experience God's love and the intimacy of a love that will never let us down? Well, it's only in Jesus. At the risk of being controversial, let me just say, the clear, necessary implication of this is the answer is not the Jews. Jesus is a Jew. He's the fulfilment of God's plan for the Jews. And if that can work for anyone of any other nation, it can certainly work for Jews. How much more so? But restoring the nation of Israel... So we've got somewhere to find God is an offence to who Jesus says he is. The place where we find God is Jesus, only Jesus. Uh, when I try and uh, talk about Jesus with people from very different Christian backgrounds to me, sometimes people get into this kind of way of talking that what we need to do is figure out what is the best church or what is the right church for them. Because that way they'll find God and they'll be pleasing to God and they'll be connected with God if they find the right church. Well, a healthy church can be a great help to us in finding Jesus. But it doesn't matter if you're in the best church on the planet if you don't find Jesus, you don't find God. Jesus is where we find God. Jesus is where we get connected to the life of God. And so once we're connected to God in Christ, then yes, we want to be part of a church. We want to be part of whatever biological group we've been born into. We want to be part of whatever society God leads us to live in. But none of those places are where we find life. Jesus said, If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus is the true people of God. That also means if we've got him, we've got everything we need. It's not just apart from me you can do nothing. It's if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. If you're in Jesus, he's producing his fruit in your life. Now I don't know whether that's obvious to you or not. I speak to lots of people who trust Jesus, they're doing their best to follow him, they love him, 
and they just can't see the difference it's making in their lives. Uh, there's a couple in the church that I pastor. Uh, they came to me recently and said, we'd really like your help in standing up for Jesus, in telling other people about Jesus. We just feel like we can't do it. So I you know, started meeting with them once a week, looking at some parts of the Bible and talking about it. But one of the things that happened very early in this conversation is I started asking them you know, what they'd been doing during the week to try and do this. And so very early on, the lady said to me, well, she caught up with a relative she hadn't seen for a very long time. G'day, welcome, come on in. Um, she caught up with a relative she hadn't seen for a very long time and was just catching up with her. And uh, this lady wouldn't let her get a word in edgewise, just spoke, I think she said, for two hours straight without taking a breath. And I said, well, that does make it hard to, to talk about Jesus if you can't say anything. That's not your fault. Did you get to say anything to this person? And she said, well, yes, I did get to talk about how I'd been concerned about some things, you know, with my kids and how I'd been praying about that. What legend! She was using the opportunity, might not have been the opportunity she wanted, but she was using the opportunity God gave her to point this person to Jesus in a very natural conversational way. Brilliant. Uh, the guy, very concerned about how to raise the topic of spirituality with his children. I said, have you tried anything? He said, well, what I've been doing for the last few years, the last few years, mine, is at Christmas time, when we have everyone over, I have a Christmas quiz. And so there's all sorts of fun stuff in there, but I always make sure there's something in there about the real meaning of Christmas. So I get to talk about Jesus. Brilliant! Brilliant! Here's two people in my church who feel that they're not doing a very good job, that they're not producing very much fruit, and it is blindingly obvious to everyone else that God is producing fruit in their lives. If you are in Jesus and Jesus in you, he is producing fruit. He is producing fruit in you. He's the one. When you have a uh, plant with branches, the trunk of the plant connects the branches to the soil with the nutrients and whatever else it needs. Jesus is the one that connects us to the life of God. If you've got him, you've got everything you need. He is producing fruit in your life, even if you can't see it. Two things that might help you to be encouraged in this. One is to look back over more time. Right? It can be difficult to see what God is doing in my life right now, this week, when I'm just busy trying to survive. But look back over a few years. In the last few years, what difference has Jesus made in your life? I hope in the last few years there's something that you can see and go, oh, actually... I've grown in this, or I've learnt this, or I've faced this challenge, or whatever it is. The other one, as I've already implied, is you can ask other people. Sometimes we can see what's going on in another person's life more easily than we can see what's going on in our own. And if you don't get any encouragement from either of those questions, let me encourage you 
from John 15. Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. <coughs> Notice, he doesn't say, if you're worried about whether you're being fruitful enough, strain harder. Try and catch the rain before it gets to the ground where the vine is going to pull it up for you. There's no, there's no doing it without Jesus to make it better option. Stick with Jesus. Keep trusting his word. And he will produce fruit in you. But of course there can be some things as we ask those questions that can be terribly discouraging. Some things that go wrong. Uh, sometimes when God takes away good things, we can feel like uh, God is punishing us, not trying to produce fruit. But Jesus explains this in John 15 as well. Back in verse 1 he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. It's true that if we're only playing at following Jesus, that will end badly. But if we are genuinely trusting Jesus, what does that mean? Everything's easy and comfortable? No. God is the gardener and he prunes us so we'll be even more fruitful. I'm, uh, I'm really a beginner at gardening. I've been a beginner at gardening my entire adult life. I will probably remain a beginner at gardening for my entire adult life. But uh, some years ago we had a whole bunch of roses and I was trying to figure out how to prune them. And a much more experienced gardener said to me, you seem like you don't do a lot of gardening. You don't I said, no, I've got no idea what I'm doing. And I said, okay, here's what you need to do as a beginner. Just get a chainsaw and cut the entire plant off six inches above the ground. Uh, I didn't have the guts to do that, even though I trusted the person. But I did prune them much more severely than I would have had the confidence to do otherwise. And when I've seen gardeners who know what they're doing, pruning, it looks destructive. Right? Good pruning looks like you are killing the plant. But you're not, are you? You're promoting growth. You're enabling the plant to grow even better and produce more fruit or flowers or whatever it is you want it to produce. A lady in our church lost her mum. I had the privilege of doing the funeral. They were very close. It was very sad. But looking back, she grew more as a person in the 12 months after she lost her mum than in the 10 years previously. God is our loving Heavenly Father. And so he prunes to help us grow, to provoke us to grow so that we will produce even more fruit by the life of Jesus in us.
number of years ago, I saw a poster at a campsite. Uh, I don't think there were kittens on the poster, but you know, it was that kind of thing. And it said, you can do anything. And I thought, here we go. And at the bottom of the poster it said, but you can't do everything. You can do anything, but you can't do everything. I thought, that is wise. That is wise. Uh, we live in the information age. If you want information, you can get it. I mean, it can be a pain to sort through it, but there's plenty of information available. Any kind of uh, personal growth goal you set yourself, any kind of, uh, anything you want to achieve, I will bet you, you can find a credible expert on YouTube who will give you concrete instructions for free about how to do it. I mean, I don't know if you'll be able to find them in a short period of time because you've got to wait through the nonsense. But they will be there out there somewhere. Uh, I, uh, for fun and keeping fit, I like to rock climb. So there's a, a rock climb I follow online. And he has great information about how to get better at rock climbing. And he climbs these things that look like just flat pieces of rock. And he says, I can show you how to do this. I can show you how to get good enough to do this. And he tells you all the instructions of the training program, the nutrition, all that stuff. And that's all great. And I believe he's right. There's just more to life. I haven't got time to do all the training that you need to do to climb like that. You can do anything, but you can't do everything. What Jesus is doing in you is producing his fruit of righteousness, of justice, of love for God, and love for other people. The way I think about it is, I can be looking for opportunities to give up the good things, to make the best things, or I can be waiting for God to do it. Take that as you will. So Jesus is the true vine. He is the true people of God. He is the place where we find truth and hope and love. We just need to stick with him. We need to believe what he says. He's the one we can trust. We need to believe... He's promised that he's coming back to raise us for eternal life to make the world new. And we need to love God, heart, soul, mind and strength, holding nothing back. We need to love God above and beyond anything and everything else. And as we do that, we won't do it perfectly. What do we have to do? Lift ourselves up by our bootstraps? No. 
you are already clean because of the word Jesus has spoken to you. Remain in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help us to remain in Jesus. Thank you that he is the one that makes us clean. Thank you that he's the one that we can trust to show us the truth. Thank you that he's the one whose promises will never fail. Thank you that he's the one who really loves us no matter what. Help us when we're struggling just to stick with Jesus. Help us when we're succeeding just to stick with Jesus. We do pray that he would change our lives so that everyone would see that he is the true one. Amen.